I got, I got shorts, every fucking color. Mm-hmm. I got designer t-shirts. I got gold bullets, mm-hmm. motherfucking vampires. Mm-hmm. I got Scarface mm-hmm. on repeat. Scarface on repeat, constant, y'all. I don't know what's going on here. I was just at work for real. Like man, I'm, I'm man, just trying to do my man. job, and I don't know. You could get a rich man if you tried. I don't want a rich man. You can't close the leads you're given. You can't close shit. You are shit. Hit the bricks, pal, and beat it, because you are going out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. But uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Hi, welcome to Projections Podcast Series 4. This season, we're looking at work and money on screen, critiquing modern economics through a psychoanalytic lens. We'll discuss excess, pursuit, competition, livelihood, austerity, property, and post-digital work, culminating in liberation, to touch on the various trials, tribulations, and traumas of accessing the means of survival. First, we pitch them Disney, AT&T, IBM, blue chip stocks exclusive. Companies these people know. Once we sucker them in, we unload the dog shit, the pink shits, the penny stocks, where we make the money. It's your choice to be a skivvy, isn't it? A skivvy doesn't come to you, you go to it. Come on, let's go to Paris's. I want to rob. We're recording. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. This is very strange, recording a series on Skype and being in lockdown for like five weeks, but I'm fine. I know. I know. I've been like looking forward to this series for such a long time. And obviously we're we're concentrating on films that look at money and the way that we work and economics. And it just seems so strange, like the timing of all of us being in lockdown and Obviously, the economy is suffering as a result. And maybe now we're all kind of reflect. We have this new space to reflect and all this time to think about the way that we work and like really reflect on what we take for granted in terms of our economics and maybe how the economy has potentially failed in certain respects that have also contributed to how badly this pandemic is taking place. It's really an interesting time. It's very interesting. I feel like we've kind of been gifted with this, like, this sort of like extra lens through which to look at all the stuff that we were planning to look at anyway. Um, So yeah, welcome everyone to Work and Money, um, which sounds dry, but it's definitely not. We've got an amazing selection of films coming up. Um, Mary, what are we doing today? So we kick things off today, episode one in our series four looking at the concept of excess as represented through film in terms of excess in money, in terms of excess in desire and consumerism. And really, I'm, I'm so glad that we are starting with this theme today because I feel like before we really launch into it, into the series, we need to kind of like establish the theoretical context Mm -hmm. um, that all our other choices are kind of like rising out of. And I feel like it is important to give a working definition of our perspective and where we're coming from. And our critique here is not so much capitalism in itself, but rather neoliberalism, which is um, an economics philosophy that was championed by Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. It's based on Friedrich Hayek and Milton Friedman's ideas of free trade and open markets, so-called laissez-faire capitalism, uh, privatization, and deregulation of the financial district. So that activities that might have previously in previous decades might have been criminalized because they were regulated under the rule of law, um, post Reagan and Thatcher were those same crimes are now kind of just tolerated and bankers can act with impunity, um, taking a lot of risks and putting all of our 
savings and pensions and workers' rights and everything on the line to gamble with money and be really reckless. Um, at the height of her reign, Margaret Thatcher declared that neoliberal economics was the method, but that the object was to change the soul of the citizen. So in just to kind of sum up also with neoliberalism, it's a very complex series of ideas, but the core of it, which is going to run through a lot of our, our choices when we look at work and money is the, uh, a term that now is viewed um, mostly as a pejorative, but it's market fundamentalism, meaning that the best outcomes are achieved in neoliberalism by allowing individuals to pursue their own financial self-interest with no restraint and no regulatory oversight. And so it's a complete faith in the so-called invisible hand of the market to solve economic and social problems. Um, but we are left with you know, the question, how can we trust a financial industry that demonstrates reckless behavior like gambling with public money, losing it inside kind of like kind of a wanton system, actually, of casino style Wild West economics that makes the rich richer and the poor poorer? How can we trust it? You know, um, it seems like financial heavy hitters are above the law, like they operate in a bubble of corruption often and fraud. Even post the 2008 financial crisis, hardly any bankers were jailed for rigging interest rates. Mm -hmm. And yet they are still enjoying eye-watering sums of money as yearly bonuses on top of inflated salaries. So all of this adds up to create a set of values in a society and a set of like achievements um, that are desired by people, goals that people set for themselves. It, it, it influences the culture. It influences how we raise kids, what we tell them to want, what we expect people to do in a workplace, what they're, what, how we um, celebrate sometimes quite like sociopathic values, you know, like of doing whatever it takes to get to make a profit. These things affect the environment, like the, na the nature. And so it's, it's a very complex subject, but really I'm interested in us kind of psychoanalytically examining the processes that are attached to neoliberalism. So um, particularly in excess, um, you know, in we're living in a kind of age of enjoyment. We're told constantly to have fun. There's a drive towards happiness, desiring the good life. But we know psychoanalytically that excessive pleasure, like excessively pursuing the pleasure principle is linked to the splitting and division of the subject. You know, there is such a thing as a painful uh, principle, which is jouissance, you know, what Jean Jacques Lacan talked about the compulsion to constantly transgress the prohibitions imposed on our enjoyment going beyond the pleasure principle. So I feel like today, as we kick things off with excess, we're going to be looking at The Wolf of Wall Street and Spring Breakers. These two films really uh, successfully depict jouissance, the, you know, the engine of capitalism, the engine of neoliberalism. Uh, con you know, the drive towards constant delivery of enjoyment, which is impossible. Oh, that was a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we're going to be looking at these two films. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of different subjects over the eight episodes that we've got planned. Um, and like just to say that, like, especially from my point of view, like I am still very much learning about economics, about like work theory, like the theory of work, that kind of thing. And it very much comes from kind of sort of, um, we're definitely not going to be like residing entirely in a theoretical place. We're going to be looking no. at the way that all of these things do reflect, interestingly, the, the individual um, and people's like in people's actual human experience, as well as like the creative experience and the kind of, like work, the kind of creative work that we kind of consume and use to reflect our world back at us. Um, so yeah, I think definitely we've also found that like events in our lives have like very much influenced our interest in this subject. So we find that sometimes the like realizations that are coming to us emotionally can also be supported by 
the sort of like alternative framework that we start to kind of research so whether that's kind of socialism or whether that's like pursuing a new kind of work culture or I mean and also I suppose it's important to say that we're yeah we're kind of like learning as we go and that also we understand like that we celebrate complexity in this in this like in this subject as much as anything um that it's like a mixed economy that would be that is the best you know like a mixture of like the free market and and socialism and that it's a mixture of like the group and individual that works best it's like a balance yeah. it's a balance between those things there's a balance between joy and duty and um and that's the kind of thing that we're really interested in like exploring yeah absolutely well said i i couldn't agree more um it is just very interesting theoretically to examine what uh neoliberalism in particular gives a rise to like in terms of what it gives a platform to in the human condition for it to be expressed yes and we're really interested in seeing how that translates in cinema yes so are we should we start on our films um, yeah, so we start on looking at the topic of excess. This was a very like stressful viewing experience to watch these two yeah. films really close together. So we've really shoved our listeners in at the deep end. Um, I hope that you're all okay. <laughs> um, it's definitely it's definitely a lot, and I'm actually really pleased that we put these two films next to each other as we always are because like really it was like you know. It, they, it always happens accidentally that like we we decide on two films that you know roughly fit the theme and then they end up kind of having these these nice things in common or these like these like kind of opposing things that makes like the qualities of each one stand out um but it's been really interesting to to watch these two films together and I'm very glad that we've um that we've got this like what I think is actually like even though they're both directed by men I think that Wolf of Wall Street is like shows this like hyper masculine um type of economics and I actually think that despite sort of accusations of objectification I think that there's a lot of like what I would call like hyper femininity in Spring Breakers like a lot of like feminine qualities that I'm really interested in in discussing um uh, and like not least that and you know it's it like it seems maybe a little bit reductionist to say this but like just in terms of budget like you know Wolf of Wall Street is this very very expensive film that they actually wanted to make around the time of the financial crisis in this century but were unable to because they they couldn't afford to make this film which I think is very Mm -hmm. ironic um where and then you told me that Spring Breakers was five million which is micro tiny budget um and I I think I really you know I and I you know it's obviously like this you know it's very simplified simplification but even like it's interesting because like you know women do tend to have less money to work with both like creatively and in life so even in those in that way there is reflected it's reflective it's like kind of it's reflective of this sort of like difference in um I don't know kind of outlook which I think really brings a lot to both of these films oh yeah 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 Um, definitely so we're going to start with Wolf of Wall Street and finish mm-hmm. on Spring Breakers. Um, shall I synopsize? Yes, please. Okay. The Wolf of Wall Street recounts, recounts the true story of stockbroker and convicted criminal Jordan Belfort based on his memoir of the same name. We follow Jordan's journey from trainee stockbroker laid off after the Black, Black Monday stock crash to getting rich off pump and dump penny stocks and investment fraud. As his crimes continue, Jordan's personal life grows more and more excessive. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It was released in 2013, biographical black comedy film directed by Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got Leo playing uh, Jordan Belfort. Yes, doing very, very well. Doing Um, very well, as always. Like, you know, like it is like a fun film to watch. I mean, the film seems to imply that like wealth has some kind of decaying effect Mm -hmm. um, on the personality um and that's that's interesting um and Jordan Belfort appears in the film did you spot him no so it's in the final scene where we see him on tour going on some kind of like motivational speaking tour yeah and he's in Auckland New Zealand and the guy who actually introduces Leo on stage 
And he's like, he's the coolest guy I know or something like that. That's Jordan Belfort. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had to watch it in parts. And I usually don't do that with films. But like I just had to I had to break it up because I was like, I can't believe how long this goes on for. Yeah, it just keeps going and going. And it's like it's more like a series of vignettes than Mm -hmm. anything, because and even at the time, I do remember there was like a a bit of a um, negative reaction to the film in some quarters because people were saying that it seems to celebrate excess rather than to critique it. Mm-hmm. And we, we see greed really being shown in its over the top style. Like it is kind of um, obviously it's, it's covering the life of a real person, but it is kind of taking a leaf out of like Gordon Gecko's book in um <laughs> Oliver Stone's film Wall Street where we hear Gordon Gecko said you know the, the famous greed is good speech mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of like this Jordan Belford character is like almost a parody of, of Gordon Gecko like he we see him just get in the most obscenely OTT situations he's a drug addict as well and he's just like for him money is just a means to overindulge on all his vices and he is he's kind of a he's a maniac like he is kind of a a crazy uh out of control overgrown toddler in a candy store kind of thing mm-hmm. um and I remember at the time like there was people were really disgusted to witness the depiction of someone who seemed so indifferent uh to the pain he was causing through his activities and I think that yeah, I suppose the film doesn't even attempt to portray the victims of his crimes. Um, there's no, like, moral catharsis. Well, there's... No, there is none. I mean, I think that um, there are a couple of moments where I think there's, like, someone does very good voice acting in that scene where he trains them all to um, to sell to sell, sell shares. Um, you know, like, they're all listening and they're all laughing at this guy on the phone and he's, like... And um, it's, I mean, I think it's like a very good portrayal of someone getting bullied mm-hmm. um, because, and someone being pushed, like, and that's, I think it's like, there are like moments in the film where I really think you like understand like the, just the real, like, like, oh, I really was affected on just like a very human level by mm-hmm. the emotional pain of someone being made to do something they don't want to do, which I think is the, is like what, I perceive the American dream to be based on that film, which is that like you can get what you want based on someone else being like someone else's like desires being like pushed to one side a little bit or someone else's like agency or to be pushed to one to be like to be crushed. And um, I find that scene very upsetting. Like they're all like they're all laughing. They're all like listening to him like push this guy beyond his limits and he's you know he's like I've got to ask my wife I don't know you I um and then um it's this like it's this like intense emotional manipulation where the guy ends up saying you know he says like how how about eight how about we do eight and the guy's like how about we do ten how about that and he's like (laughs) he wants to be like liked yeah and it's like you know and like maybe it's it's silly for me to be sympathetic for someone who's got like 10 10 grand to lose but I suppose that's the point the guy doesn't have 10 grand to lose on on stocks and it's uh it was it's very much like there are like little moments in the film like not made I think I personally think not enough of them um but there are a few moments in the film where you really understand that like it's all when when you really consider that money is not real and doesn't exist it's just school it's just like one person like bullying someone else into letting them be in charge like it's just it's just like it's just children like playing playing with each other and like that's that that's what really gets to me about Wolf of Wall Street like I think that's where I had to have my first pause in the film because Mm -hmm. and that really upset me and I think that 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 that's why that bit with the FBI agent at the end annoyed me because that's like that's like an that's not a true emotion like this guy like looking around and, and feeling envious because he's on the subway that's silly but that guy being like bullied into buying 10 grand worth of, sh- of shares that's like that's real that's like a real well that's the thing yeah exactly and that's why I think that's probably 
in retrospect, I think Scorsese, Martin Scorsese did the right thing yeah. uh, to like, um, in, in a sense, just obje- sort of very like objectively depict the uh, f- um, excess and greed and financial um, overindulgence in this mm-hmm. way. Like it doesn't, he's not, the, the director is not, uh, there's no apparent ideological anch- anchor to the biopic. Yes. It's yes. just it's just a self-obsessed sociopath partying ad nauseum. And that's all that's being shown. And I think that he is correct to do it that way because he's not providing any ethical reassurance that the bad deeds will go punished. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, w- we see him being abusive and being unregulated and being like this hurricane uh, that's destroying everything in its path. Um, but that in a way is a fair representation of what this kind of like unfettered economics does. You know, there is yeah. in real life, there is no comeuppance for people who do that. So yeah, it is fair true. to depict it that way, you know? Yeah. And I suppose as well, like Scorsese already had it, like it's really in terms of like, um, they didn't have to write this film like Jordan Belfort had written this memoir and that's yeah. how he chose to portray himself. Like that's how he like, he really had no, probably like, no, it didn't even occur to him to portray himself differently. Like that's how, that's how he is. And that's how he tells his story. Shameless. And shameless. And if you want to be known like that, and probably he did tell that story of like, you know, he probably did like explain how he bullied people and how like, you know, because he understands people. He understands like the hesitation in people's voices. He understands when people are anxious and upset. He is kind of like a psychopath. Like he yes. can see all of those. He sees like all of those like human sort of like ticks and triggers and, and you know, and things like that. But he doesn't he, he just thinks he's clever for, for knowing them. He doesn't like uh, he doesn't identify with them. So in a way, like you're actually like. Yeah, you're right. In a way, like Wolf of Wall Street is just like, it's like we're just like all therapists and we're looking through like the do- like the do- like the double sided mirror at someone just like losing their shit and like and we're, like un- uncensored. It's someone totally un- like someone who doesn't think they have to censor themselves at all. Exactly. Um, and that's maybe the film that it's like it's just this kind of uncensored. Um, yeah. Like. Um, yeah, it is like we're really. Um... That's the thing about that's the thing about jouissance as well is that you know chasing after things that feel good, um, but without limit, just constantly chasing and constantly seeking out the pleasure principle, mm-hmm. uh, and transgressing the limits that are imposed on our enjoyment, going beyond the pleasure principle, the result is always more pain. That's mm-hmm. that's the paradox you know, too much enjoyment to the point where it's like completely unbridled and unregulated. Um, it's, it, it becomes intolerable because there's only so much, there's only a certain amount of pleasure that the subject can bear beyond that limit. It becomes painful. And it's interesting because, um, capitalism really is the engine to deliver enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, ultimately if if left unregulated it becomes the cause of suffering it's like the domain of the death drive where we're we have a compulsion to repeat constantly but it brings us into a realm of pure suffering Um, that's that's very interesting because um now you've said that i've hmm. realized there's a microcosm of what you just said of that theory playing out in the film um and it's the scene where like he his wife thinks he's been with someone with this a woman called Venice. And oh yeah. <laughs> they flash and they're like, and he's like, no, 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 I'm just buy, buying property. And they flash back to who Venice is, and Venice the is dominatrix. a dominatrix that has no respect for safe words, and like, and um, she's like, she's kind of Joyce personified, isn't she? Because you know, he's like, he says like, um, he says his safe word, and wolfie. she's just like, wolfie, wolfie, wolfie. <laughs> um and um and like she's like what she's like what a safe word I don't do safe words and she just carries on and it's like unbearable and he just has to kind of go with it exactly neoliberalism is capitalism without a safe word there's no there's no respect for the, the law and 
uh, it's just we, we just end up underneath the heel of some fucking tyrant and hope that that person takes pity on us. You know. Oh my god, that's the outtake from that. That's like the um, that's the quote from the episode. Neoliberalism is capitalism without a safe word. And like, that, I think that's oh, that's so. You know what? Like, I'm actually for this film now. When like now that there's like this one very small scene that like sums up the entire yeah. the entire like problem. Um, that's very interesting. And I love that, like, I love that the joy sense personified as a woman as well. And the sex yeah. worker, that, like, nonetheless, the dominatrix, like, terrifying, exactly. castrating woman. Yeah, exactly. Because sex in itself is like, you know, and, and certainly like BDSM, you know, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. There just has to be consent and an agreement on the terms. When one person just completely disregards the safe word, that's like breaking a central tenet of consent. We're no longer participating. We're passively just kind of like receiving something that is outside of our own agency um so yeah i, I in, in that regard i think that it is a a, a morally uh, acceptable thing to depict what happens like it's mm. it's one th it's one thing to feel a certain way watching it i mean i i, I remember finding out that um now, this is kind of crazy. There was a critic who actually saw an advanced screening of the film at a cinema near Goldman Sachs in the financial district of New York. And it was an audience mostly of like bankers who were cheering at all the wrong women. <laughs> and they were like rooting for Jordan. Like they were not yet. They, they, they seemed to like not like miss the point of the film. Like they thought that it was just a glorious celebration of what they were up to. And in a way, I can understand why they would see that, because if they're if if they're not looking at it critically, then watching a film like this. Yeah, they, they just see it as one big montage of their lifestyle and they're for that, you know. So but at the same time, I think it's perfectly fine. You, you I, I don't I, I, I truly believe the filmmaker just have should have a license to depict without needing to justify like they, they you know um and they leave the moral questioning to the audience and I think that should be fine yeah I think so uh, and I think obviously like when you tell us you just tell a story like yeah. things emerge from the story that like you didn't have any intention of putting there and that's like the beauty of art like it's almost like automatic writing or or something like it's really psychoanalytic like something just emerges that you didn't put there and um, and that's what it's you know you're just you like you know your craft you're good at it and you do your thing and then like all these things come out of it like you accidentally put a dominatrix in that that like embodies the theory of joyance like I'm sure he didn't <laughs> intend to do that I think I think you're totally right I think to just this is like this is a story that's already made and it's true and to just tell it is all is like this is the public service it's all you need to do absolutely absolutely I mean it is an orgy of excess. Yeah. Um, there's one character in the film that really um, intrigued me, and I was kind of hoping he'd be a part of the storyline more than he was, and that's the Matthew McConaughey character mm -hmm. that um, the the young Jordan Belfort is like represented as meeting quite early on in his career on Wall Street, and this guy uh, is sort of a bit bit of a veteran on Wall Street and he's like trying to show young Jordan the ropes like kind of into you know induct him into the ways of stock you know stock break uh, stop stockbrokers and uh you know the market etc and there's something that he says if you recall they're like they're like dining in this really posh restaurant and the Matthew McConaughey character like starts beating his chest and like humming and doing this kind of very primal performance like a caveman and then he starts talking about Fugazi do you mm. remember that scene and he's like he's t he's basically telling Jordan that what they're doing is totally artificial like this, um, trading on the stock market selling stocks and in investing and like investing your money in, in on Wall Street there's absolutely no substance to it. He said, he says, stock is fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's never landed. It is no matter. It's not on the elemental chart. It's not real. So he's basically saying what you're doing is you're convincing people to invest their money on a stock. But the trick is to constantly 
persuade them to reinvest so that ultimately they're not enriching themselves. They're just constantly in a state of gamble. They're just like on a wall-to-wall cycle of gambling, whereas the people working in the financial district, the bankers, they're the ones who cash in. They're the ones who actually take the money home. They get checks. So they're really just selling a fantasy. They're selling the fantasy that you too can be a billionaire if you invest right, if you play your cards right. And this really is, it sums up neoliberalism because it's it's about selling a dream. It's about saying... Your desire is in const- is in a constant state of wanting to be fulfilled, and we're gonna create this fantasy world where anything you desire can can come true. Like you can be so wealthy that you can buy anything and do any anything you want, party with anyone you want, and that's what they really are. They're just like salespeople for a dream, for the eight for the process of desire, which is interminable like we're constantly wanting more all the time Mm -hmm. nothing is ever enough um and that's why like in a way spring breakers plays into that as well um should we move on to spring breakers yeah okay i'm going to synopsize harmony croon's spring breakers uh local college students brit candy cotty and faith aspire to go on spring break but don't have the money so Brit, Candy and Cotty rob a diner using water pistols and the more moralistic Faith goes with them to Miami. There, the four girls have fun until they are arrested for drug offences and bailed out by gangster and drug dealer Alien, who wishes to induct them into his lifestyle. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So Spring Breakers, 2012 release, American crime film, written and directed by Harmony Korine. Great. Yeah, I, I was also surprised to find out that the cinematographer is Benoit Deby. He works with um, Gaspar Noé. He made uh, he was a cinematographer on Irreversible and Enter the Void. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because it's yeah. beautiful, this film. Like, it's very much, you know, Harmony Corinne said that he was collecting images of this, this like, this part of culture. Mary, you're North American. What spring yeah. break? Okay, I'm going to explain spring break. <laughs> Guys, uh, I'm like the expert. No, just kidding. I've never <laughs> been on spring break. Um, I know all about it. Basically, it's just this kind of North American cultural phenomenon where uh, every spring, as it were, um, college students, so like university students, they all gather together. It's like a ritualistic thing. They go to Florida. Usually they go to like uh, Daytona Beach um, maybe Tampa, Miami. It's always Florida for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, obviously, it's because of the weather, but it's it seems to always be there. There's something about Florida culture that lends itself very well to the culture of spring break. And it's all these young college kids who congregate and they just like go buck wild. Like they 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 drink excessively they party 24 hours a day they they you know there's a lot of promiscuous activities going on um and it's just it's just this time i think where uh college students like to release the tension of studying and kind of like escape for a week or so in this world where they get to do whatever they want and it's sort of accepted mm-hmm. yeah that's um I cannot imagine a less British thing. <laughs> like <laughs> um although I suppose like um like British like high school students go to like um go to like place like parts of like Spain and Greece and have like gross parties there. Um Yeah. But probably. um yeah, yeah. But um and yeah, we have like a bad reputation British teenagers have like a bad reputation in Europe for like ruining like entire ruining like entire islands and like date raping each other and like doing terrible things um but yeah that's very interesting this idea of spring break I mean again like this film made me anxious because just too much too much joy um and uh but I like it's um I I definitely the character that I identify the most with in this in this film is definitely Faith um, yeah. Although I read that these girls aren't actually supposed to. I mean, I suppose in a way, like you know, yeah. There's no, there's no rule that people in films are supposed to kind of represent real people. But I read that Corinne saw the girls as like um, representing like tears of of morality. 
Um, yeah. So they're one person. Um, they're one person who uh, who changes and who like different sheds. levels. Yeah, there's like yeah, the different levels of one person. So like like sort of like this like outer morality, and then like the, what you're left with is just this kind of id as like the two the two kind of like more calming girls go home. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. But I still liked them as like girls. Yeah, I me too. I love this movie. I'm just gutted that I never got to see it in the cinema. Like I didn't go when it was initially released. I know you saw it, Sarah. I did. I had a great time. Um oh. I was only like I think it was it was the sort of age for me where I was starting to know about Harmony Corinne. Like one of my boyfriend's friends put on Gummo and we went to see it. Um but I've recently ranted to you about Gummo because like when you have <laughs> when you have a film club of your own, like, and you meet any, like, straight young men, like, the first thing, they're like, why didn't you screen this film? It's called Gummo. And I just, like, I just want to, like, smash something over the head of the next person that tells me to screen Gummo. Um, but we went to see that. And then, like, over the same year, Kalmany Corinne released this, and we all went to see it in the big group. And it was a very, like, it was a very joyous, it was a very yeah. joyous um occasion like we all kind of came out very excited and like jumping up and down and we were all dancing a lot in the you know it was like one of those films that I really like it really um it really like makes for like a communal viewing experience it's kind of what cinema is made for absolutely yeah it's just so stimulating to look at the colors and the neon and um just there's something about it that you really enter that world while you're watching it like it really it really engrosses you I like that it's a very sensory film like this you know that we can see the kind of the the lines being spoken like bleeding into other scenes and it's like going back and forth in time and Mm -hmm. there's not that much importance on like classical like narrative or plot cinema it's just like it's it's very fluid like there's a it's like very dreamlike yeah, and I love I love the the choice of the casting. I think it's fucking genius to like bring in Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hudgens, who are like these two like, Brit, you know, formerly uh, Disney girls. Yeah, and like show them like in this kind of context where they're it, it it's very taboo. Like it's really taboo to show these like young girls who were groomed in the Disney machine as being like pure and innocent and then show them on spring break directed by Harmony Korine. I mean, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> Serena Gomez seems really young in it. Maybe she I was. Know. So the film was released eight years ago. So she must have been around 19 when, when yeah. it, it came out. Um, and I agree. Like, I really like her character as well. I think I identified most with her too. Mm-hmm. At first I was trying to think like, cause her name is Faith and she comes from a very religious, family and we we see her like belonging to like a Christian prayer group and everything she seems like a pretty like innocent sweet girl like on the straight and narrow and um the fact that she went along with her friends and she was like committed to just having a spring break experience and getting out of her usual like predictable life where she's like very sheltered and stuff living with her grandma to going a bit crazy with her friends, having fun on the beach, partying, etc. She kind of like, yeah, she sort of allowed herself to experience this like hedonistic lifestyle for a bit. Mm. She signed up to it. But and then she's sort of more affected by it, like because of like her purity. Yeah. Like she she seems she's more moved by it. She's like she's overjoyed. She feels like understood. She feels free. Like there's like I find it really lovely kind of watching her. Like she's having a much less anxious time of it than I usually do at a party. <laughs> like, you know, she's not she doesn't have a downside. Like she has this very like like I don't know there's something about her she has it's like she's she's having a much less cynical time than everyone else she's like really experiencing like drugs and partying as like as uh, yeah like actually on a spiritual level almost it makes her it makes her feel more herself which is really interesting but it's only when things go slightly off of the plan that they had set out for themselves when they get arrested and then this alien rapper like drug dealer guy played by James Franco mm-hmm. um I, I mean again ideal casting um when when he appears on the scene that's when we start to see her getting really nervous and scared and she's like tearful and actually she was really sweet when she was crying and she's like I just want to go home I want to go home and like my heart really went out to her and when she gets on the bus and leaves 
I couldn't help but wonder whether Spring Breakers is ultimately a metaphor about like religion and people losing their faith. Yes. Because she, think, they literally lost her. Like she just literally got on a bus and left. I think both of these films had religious elements, actually. Um, and they were maybe more, like, I think maybe Wolf Wall Street is more like the misuse of religion because there are moments where he's like, and I only saw it in retrospect after watching Spring Breakers, but, you know, like the way that, um, the way that people are in Faith's prayer meeting, like, is the same as they are um at parties like or like in the pool or you know like it's like a different forms of kind of like ecstasy like being sort of and like James Franco is just like another like prayer meeting leader like you know like saying these like saying these things and like revving people up into this like into this kind of state Um, and then then Jordan Belfort is the same like you know having these like you know with a microphone addressing a crowd with a microphone like that's like the American like evangelist church isn't yes. it? like oh my god um so I think that there was a lot of religion in both in both these films um but yeah and it's like oh in, my god yeah you're right like they do they lose their faith and then they have and they sort of like but then there's like a gap for a different faith and they kind of yeah. like they have this different like um yeah they 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 sort of they go yeah they sort of go for someone else that is like that is using like those kind of preaching at them I suppose they lose their faith and they turn to a cult leader basically <laughs> and he he is like a cult leader but what I like in this film is that that um like like no one ever has like power over any of these girls no. like they're all allowed to go home when they want and they're all like and they kind of they sort of like all ultimate like no one really gets hurt apart from like Rachel Corinne's character who gets shot in the arm but like you know like it's all yeah people I don't know I really like that about this character I think it's very like it's very kind director Harmony Corinne in the case of this film I agree um because like and all of the things that you're kind of it's also like it may really struck me that the things that we're sort of taught to believe are bad are, are like against the things that we're taught to believe are acceptable like we're taught in like especially in America like you have those like dare programs and you're taught to believe that like taking drugs and like having sex like equates with like poor moral choices which is like and they're not something to do with morals not at all but mm-hmm. that like but the uh, I don't know defrauding people out of like millions of pounds is is just like something like technical that's happening in the economy <laughs> like you know it's like it's so I thought Swing Breakers was interesting because like even like you th- you assume that something bad's going to happen to these girls because they're trying to have a good. They just want to have fun, and yeah. actually nothing bad happens to them because they like because they just and that's nice. Like they're just kind of yeah. They're not punished really. Like they do get arrested and like some bad things happen, but they're not like. But everybody gets arrested. Everybody, everybody at the party gets arrested. Yeah. And like there's like a scene where you see Rachel Corinne in a room with like five men. Um, and you're trained, like you're you're sort of trained to be like, oh my god, like there's going to be there's going to be a rape, there's going to be like you know there's going to be a and there's not at all, and like everything that happens to these girls, like they get to kind of make their own choices, and I really like that in this film. But anyway, getting off the subject of no, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's the fact that they're you know, they they show that they're actually quite capable girls, even though they're like a little bit on the delinquent side, maybe living a little bit dangerously with like the criminal aspect of their activities. Often it's even in the script, the girls say like, oh, just pretend you're in a movie or just it's like in mm-hmm. a video game, you know, and some of some of the scenes play out like Grand Theft Auto. Like, yeah. you know, you, like it's just a fantasy about these girls having been like conditioned in the in, in like youth culture of uh video games and stuff and like kind of just taking things and there's no consequences you just play again and you level up you know it's a phantasmagoric uh experience of women taking on these desires like it is it gives them agency we can see that they're the heroes of their own fantasy you you know the scene where uh they all gather around aliens piano and they dance around (laughs) To Britney Spears. Uh, what's it called? What, every time. Every, every time. Oh my god! I mean, actually, there are so many 
there are just so many brilliant moments in this film. That's definitely one of them. The bit where they are going to have sex for the first time and they both put their guns in his mouth and he like, and he like submits to their like phallic power is just like, oh my God. Like I haven't, like, it's just like the most enjoyable like thing uh, as a female viewer like that I've seen in such a long time and I've forgotten about it I've forgotten how wonderful it is I actually really like enjoy the other thing I really enjoy is that is that thruple actually of um yeah, Anne Benson uh Vanessa Hudgens and and uh, Jane Franco because it's um there's something very like queer about it like in terms of like non but like it's very non-binary and like like you know the because I, I don't know this is something about like yeah, like the girls have penises and like they're all like in the pool and it's like kind of unclear like who's having sex with who and they're like it's just like very lovely and it's very romantic and it's very like rolling around together and I just I really I just loved it. It was it seemed yeah. it was like the sweetest like real chemistry that I've seen. Like they seem to all really love each other. Um, yeah. With kind of no like power dynamics in a way like they're all there's kind of one thing they're um, all on equal footing they're all on equal footing and it was like a very strange experience very strange like romantic experience much more romantic than it should be or that you would think it was um yeah it was really nice yeah queer is my only way of describing it because it, it, it's very yeah. like the sort of the like gender roles are very unclear and like so that it, it just kind of transcends that um, yeah, I really liked it. Me too. And it, it, in a way, like the James Franco character in this film, like the fact that he's even called alien is interesting because um, in a lot of ways, like neoliberalism has been described for, by people like uh, Deleuze and Guattari and other like theorists and, and, and critics as an economic model that can situate itself in any country and just encroach on the local people's culture and like an alien and mm. just dominate them completely and we're going to be seeing this again in, when we when we come to the episode when we discuss under the skin because the Scarlett Johansson character literally is an alien and she she takes over the streets of Glasgow and she encroaches on the local culture and the idea is that neoliberalism has the capacity to replace anywhere where it like situates itself uh even centuries of tradition and replace them with its values mm -hmm. so in some ways this guy he's actually a quite endearing character I thought at first it was going to be like a sexploitation movie or something where we're going to see like non-consensual sex or violence or aggression on his part but I, as you say he doesn't do that like he really subverts those expectations mm -hmm. and and the girls willingly enter into his world into his ideology into his doctrine like they 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 fully internalize his values like when he's in his room bragging about everything he's got like he's got stacks of money on the bed he's got a huge collection of weapons and like and he's got shorts in every color you see that he obviously as a collector like he likes to excessively indulge in things like that they claim those values as their own. And that's the process of neoliberalism. The local people being encroached by neoliberal policies stand up and say, these are our values. You know, they don't they don't claim that they're being dominated because at the heart of neoliberalism is pushing the idea of individual liberty and mm. that, you know, you're meant to be claiming that you want these things for yourselves. And that's what these girls do. They, they you know, they marry the alien the way that our modern, you know, modern citizens accept and embrace neoliberalism and claim those values as our own. They actually beat him at his game. They're much better gangsters than he is. Like, you know? Yeah, the romantic element, I think, metaphorically works because at the heart of neoliberalism is the economic model that we espouse animates us. It's an erotic drive. Mm -hmm. What makes it paradoxical is that it, because it's so rooted in excessive fulfillment or the promise as the promise of uh, fulfilling excessive desires that has to psychoanalytically also be in the realm of the death drive because it's impossible it's impossible to fulfill every desire we're just going to be caught up in a state of repetition constantly chasing after the same thing and that becomes painful there there we are in jouissance we're in the surplus of enjoyment it's too much it's just too much 
um yeah <laughs> is that where I find the party scenes anxiety provoking because like it just kind of made me think about the kind of people and you do meet people who seem just to be like to really love fun I know that sounds really strange but like to love fun in this like very pure unfiltered way where you don't like question it and you don't critique it and you don't doubt it you just like you just kind of consume it and I suppose yeah like from what you've said like they are they're just like yeah they're all kind of like these like next generation consumers that have like just grown up with neoliberalism and like and will like adopt it as their own and like almost transcend it and become this like hyper neoliberalism um except for you know that a couple of them a couple of them don't a couple of them know when to stop and a couple of them want to like go home but I suppose yeah if if you look at Harmony Corinne's idea of those girls as like four parts of one girl it's just they're kind of like shedding their like self-regulating abilities um and like emerging as these like kind of just like pure neoliberal like killers yeah (laughs) wow absolutely well put I love that Neoliberal Killer should be a film. I feel it's a good, yeah. it's a great title. Yeah, that's actually really good. That's uh, put it on the put it on the list. Um, we come up with so many film titles. In this, I know in, in this podcast. Er- Erotomania. Remember that one? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, so many. Um, but I but love yeah. the way you put that. That is so true. Like they become these like uh, very well practiced, uh, you know, game players. You know mm. where. And that's why the it makes sense that the film looks so much like a music video because it's the, the stylization is is it really communicates the idea that they're living in pure fantasy, you know. Um, everything is glamorized and everything is just like it's it's not real. Like it's there's no effect. You can just continually chase after your desire, accumulate more and more fun, um, and you can just fully exists in this strange state which is also interesting because the whole idea about spring break is that it's only meant to be for a week it's a finite interval of time whereas we keep hearing alien constantly like his mantra is spring break spring break forever like Mm -hmm. he wants to he wants to take that little like sort of grace period where you can like let your guard down and 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 live out your true desires and like your wild crazy state of ecstasy but like suspend it in this like state where it's just interminable like it's forever that becomes a crazy ideology what did you think of the scene I mean because there's like women um extend this film even like there's like there's like women you can't see like emerging like like into the like that borders of this film like and phone calls like all these women call their mothers mm-hmm. and they call their grandmothers and like that's who they speak to and that's who they say that they're having this transformative experience to but what does it mean when they phone home and say I want to be better I want to be a better person I've decided that I want to be because oh. um, I was like it's in, I, I'm just very interested in that in that um that scene or those like those moments where the girls like say I'm ready to I'm ready to like return home and be like a good person but one of them says you know I just want to be good and I just want to like I just want to be happy and have fun as if that's not what they've been saying the entire (laughs) it's like this kind of it's a very strange thing of like I want to like I want to go I want to be happy and have fun over here now I want to go and be happy and have fun over here like I thought it was a very like strange line um, yeah that like they've they, they were very strange like they're very strange like completely unreal characters in their like total kind of like purity um wow. that they're just sort of dedicated to happiness but yeah I was kind of wondering what you made of that scene near the end where they kind of intersperse this like them kind of triumphing over everyone um but yeah. also at the same time like phoning their mothers and saying they wanted to they wanted to be good students this year <laughs> I wonder if that's a kind of like yes I suppose like in the kind of in the quieter moments of neoliberalism like between parties between states of excess they felt a compulsion to like maybe reassure 
like older generations or what can stand in as like tradition, the traditional like set of values that, you know, their commitment to self-improvement is unwavering. Mm. So they're like paying lip service to the idea that they will transcend, um, you know, whatever it is they're doing in Florida somehow uh, and, and carry on with their commitment of self-improvement. But that's just that's just buzzwords like it's meaningless it's just uh it's 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 it has no value in the face of what they're really doing which is overindulging in a in a and on a fantasy like they're overdosing on the fantasy of neoliberalism which is that they can perpetuate spring break forever you know mm-hmm. that that uh pleasure is theirs to be had and it's all just a game yeah, I mean, they kind of, like, throughout the film, actually, like, they begin by stealing a car. Yes. Um, which is interesting from, a like, a male teacher that it's implied that um, that Cody is sleeping with. Um, and they steal his car and they set fire to it. They steal his car and they do the robbery with it and they set fire to it. Um, yeah. They're very, like, and, yeah, they have, like, these water pistol guns. And then later in the film they have these real guns. Um and like uh, Rachel Corinne's having sex with that guy on spring break, and she like, she's like sort of like insulting him while they're having sex, and so they are like these very, they're definitely like their yeah their entire mission it seems is to like is to like take power from take like phallic power and claim it as their own, um, and it is really interesting, and it kind of like it's a diff that's why it's sort of a difficult film, um, it's such a confusing film because we're so not, we're just so not used to seeing women in like I mean obviously but like, we do see women embrace capitalism every day but we're still yeah. un- or like neoliberalism every day but we're like un- still uncomfortable with the sight of women embracing neoliberalism because yeah so women are supposed to be better than that like they're supposed to be like closer to the earth like weaving um you know like yeah yeah um, so yeah, even like so like, I, and I was like, I'm I was definitely very fooled by that film. You know, it's a, it's a romantic. It's there's like it's a queer love scene. It's a, you know, it's but it, it's they're no different really. Um, it just makes us feel like slightly better when we see a woman, like taking on, I suppose, and that's really interesting because like women taking on like dominant positions in like neoliberalist like um companies we're su- we we're supposed to be reassured by them like we're supposed to be reassured by facebook because cheryl sandberg is yeah is like leaning a, in is you know we're like yeah like you, that's actually what a lot of like really evil companies do when they are getting bad pr they put a woman on the board and we're supposed to be reassured that that company is somehow better like more moral and that it's not true at all like there's no like, uh, those women have like embraced like that doctrine and used it to further their own agenda. Absolutely. Um, Every, yeah, this is, this cuts across both genders. It's not a gendered thing. It's, it's just a question of a subject deciding to internalize the, the alien values of neoliberalism, you know, mm -hmm. like that encroach upon their own boundaries and women are equally capable of doing that. And in some ways, um, this film deserves kudos for representing that because it doesn't discriminate against either gender like or any gender it's just people you know subjects humans the human condition is capable of of absorb of absorbing any set of values um and the idea here is just to kind of really depict this the desire that can never be satisfied you know want going on wanting more and more in a never-ending process of consumption um unconsciously believing that it's a path to wholeness um and that's why it's interesting that uh faith is the first person to leave because she sees right away that there's some there's something unholy going on like even even though she's not being held against her will you Mm -hmm. know as you say, like you rightly said, everyone, all the girls are allowed to leave whenever they want. They're not being imprisoned. They're not being held captive. It's the, they're the ones choosing. Um, and it's like and she's it's, kind of repelled yeah. by Alien on like a f- almost physical level. Like she dislikes yeah. him immediately. Like she senses there is something not right here. Um, 
and it's like it's almost funny because like she's yeah she's like she the way she looks at him in the car when he's like talking and like playing like, like those that music is just like it's really funny but she's like there's a bit where like he she kind of gets his sales pitch like they're in another room he's like why are you crying like what's wrong like I didn't do you know like I'm not responsible for anything that you're going through like you got yourselves in jail you this isn't my fault like I really he's like I really like you like they just met like yeah you're my favorite you're my favorite I really like you and when I'm with your friends I'm gonna be thinking about you and like it's a very like it's a very strange scene because there's no violence in it whatsoever um but it's very but yeah she and she doesn't like yeah she she's kind of like disgusted by him yeah um and it's you get the sense that it's not on like a, a violence level or like a sexual violence level or anything like that like she's like disgusted by something that he kind of represents and she's and it's like and she's like very much like it's over spring like it's not fun anymore so they're they're in it's over and yeah. like how and Rachel Corinne's character says the same thing she says spring breaks over yeah like it's like they've like this like they've have they just have this acceptance of like when it's not fun anymore stop trying to make it fun and that's like something that like Jordan in Wolf of Wall Street can't like even when he's like going to die on a like on a ship that's like hurtling over a wave he's like get me drugs like I can't do this sober like (laughs) like there's no like yeah so like it's yeah I suppose it's like people that understand that desire is better like unfulfilled than it is like overfulfilled. wow yes that is so true you're right in a way like when we see faith and alien they're like competing ideologies actually they are they are because she just wants to be like she just wants to like connect with others she wants like the purest things in spring break she wants to connect with other people she wants to feel comfortable in herself and she wants to be with her friends and yeah. like and I don't know I really sort of sympathized with like with that sort of feeling of like the the wrong person comes to the party and suddenly you feel like miserable and you feel like you're like she's very kind of sensitive to having like her it's something like kind of about boundaries I think that's why I was so interested in that sex scene because no one has any like um everyone's just like overflowing kind of into each other yeah Um, no one has any like boundaries so it's like and faith kind of she you get this she's kind of like impenetrable you get the sense that she's like all she's she has edges that the others kind of like relinquish wow Um, yeah but yeah my definitely my favorite scene was the Britney Spears thing because I I just love I love it when music is repurposed and made into like a, a montage of violence like I just <laughs> also like yeah it, it is very that is definitely when it kind of really enters the realm of like this can't be true because like no way like James that character would be able to play the piano like he'd have, <laughs> he'd have a piano but he wouldn't be able to play it like, no He's not going to have the patience to sit and play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star 15 times until it's, you know, like it takes so long to be able to have to play the piano. And like also, I think what so what like really establishes him as like an unreal character is that he's in the beginning of the film on stage at yeah. Spring Break. Yeah. Performing. Um, performing. And it's just like you wouldn't, I don't know, like he can't be real because or he can't have really been there. Because, like, all of those people, they rob. Like, they just be like, it was the spring break guy. Um, you, you can find him there on the stage. Like, you know? Like, exactly. And it was wearing, not the perfect crime. No, and he's not wearing a mask. And he's not, like, yeah, it's, um, it's very, like, it can't, it can't possibly be real. It's not very well thought out. <laughs> It could ultimately just be these girls, like, um, you know, some kind of drug-induced fantasy about yeah. what what they're really getting up to in Florida, you know? I think that is. I don't think he really exists. I think that they, like, when they're having sex with him, they're just, like, yeah, like you said, they're, they're like, marrying, <laughs> they're, like, <laughs> marrying the alien. Like, they're not, then he's not really there, I don't no. think. He's just a sim. like, he's just, like, a, yeah, he's. When, what was like jouissance in the wolf of wall street he's like just neoliberalism in spring yeah. breakers he's not a real he's not a real person 
Absolutely. <laughs> um, so next week, yeah. um, we're going to be covering um, the idea of pursuit in Eyes Wide Shut and the Bling Ring. So get watching, prepare. Um, and then meanwhile, um, follow us on our social media. Please yeah. like rate and review or subscribe to us on everything that you can because it helps us get more listeners. Um, and also, I mean, obviously there's like a lot of things to donate to at the moment that are maybe like more like worthwhile of the spare cash that you've got. But if you do find yourself um, having profited in some way from the lockdown and you're still making money, and consider um, sending us a one-off donation um, so that we can, yeah, continue to like research and and come up with and put together these series. Thank you so much for your continued support. Well, I guess that's all. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Notice me.